Good evening and welcome to Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host, coming to you from the BNN Live studios in Eggleston Square, where tonight on the Boston Neighborhood Network, uh, a two-part show, uh, all politics as is our usual want, and also tonight we're being simulcast on WBCA 102.9 FM radio, our sister station. Tonight, a two-part show. Uh, first up, we'll find out how Mayor Wu managed to steal one of the city council's brightest stars to become the new administrator of the Boston Housing Authority. We're talking about, of course, now, now former District 8 City Councilor Kenzie Bach. Uh, she joins us to talk about uh, the challenges ahead for her and her decision to take the top job at arguably one of the toughest in the city of Boston. Then, of course, uh, she's given up her seat, and so now uh, there's going to be a special election for the District 8 Council seat, her seat. And uh, the dates have been set for that. Uh, the special uh, uh, preliminary is June 27th, and the special final is July 25th. Uh, of course, uh, candidates are still pulling papers at this point, but uh, we will have, we do know there's one candidate in the race, and she'll be joining us on the second half of the show, Sharon Durkin. Uh, she is a Beacon Hill resident, a former finance director for Ed Markey for Senate campaign, and also uh, Mayor Wu, or her mayoral campaign. She's also the Ward 5 uh, Democratic Chair, and she joins us on the second half. Uh, speaking of elections, of course, this is uh, every year is an election year. This year, municipal elections, including the uh, at-large and district city council seats. Well, uh, the dates for that have been thrown in the air. Uh, just this last week, uh, the uh, U.S. District Court judge threw out the city's redistricting map and ordered it to be uh, uh, looked at again. So uh, depending upon how long that takes, it could change uh, the dates uh, for the election. Right now, of course, uh, the preliminary is scheduled for September 12th and the final for November 7th. We'll have more on that in the weeks ahead, uh, including uh, some special guests talking about that lawsuit and, and talking about the map or new map as it's being drawn. Uh, tonight, uh, Kenzie Bach joins us when we come back, and then Sharon Durkin. Uh, stay tuned for uh, Talk of the Neighborhoods here on the Boston Neighborhood Network.
Last Friday, as spring buds bloomed, the students of David A. Ellis School in Roxbury were treated to a day of sunshine as they planted trees and guarded in celebration of Arbor Day. Students learned the importance of tree cover, growing food, and the process of planting new life. We're planting native species and trees, uh, really allowing the, the students to get their hands dirty and, and to, to really be part of planting vegetation that will hopefully be here for years to come. Um, and lots of really wonderful smiles and, you know, oh, you know, I found a worm kind of comments that, that really um, are showing us that the kids are connecting with, you know, with nature, with the environment and seeing why it's so important to them. Through gardening, students fully engage their senses to see, touch, and smell the soil, fresh air, and plants that they'll tend to in the coming seasons. They are getting their hands dirty. They are learning how the water cycle impacts them on a daily basis. And they are actually doing it. They are planting the trees and planting the flowers and learning more about how, you know, food comes to their table, how we plant the trees and get the shade and how the water cycle works. So it's just a tremendous day for our kids to actually be engaged in the hands-on authentic learning. In an effort to develop tactile skills and better understand urban greenery, Boston Public Schools is promoting programs that encourage students to get outside and explore their environment. We want to, in BPS, make sure that our students are well-versed and educated in uh, urban landscaping and making sure they understand what the nature is and how it impacts their lives in general. It's really important for children these days to understand uh, the importance of trees and the role that trees can play. Not only do they provide shade in the summertime and for these kids to be playing on the playground, that's really, really important uh, to have that cooling effect from trees. They also filter the air that they breathe and helping to make clean oxygen for these children to breathe. And they also help to prevent runoff as well, which particularly in a city is important that the, 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 the water is held in the soil. So these trees provide so many benefits for these children. And it's really important for them to see how they're planted, uh, to learn how to dig the earth, to feel the earth in their, uh, in their hands and to give them that connection to the ground. Although they got their pants a bit muddy, it was worth it for students to venture outside and discover the world around them in a fresh way. Martin Luther King Jr.'s inspiring words have led our country through some of its most challenging times, especially during the Vietnam War. And on Tuesday, residents from across the city, over 200 in total, gathered at Boston City Hall Plaza to read Dr. King's iconic 1967 speech condemning the Vietnam War. So we have been repeatedly faced with the cruel irony of watching Negro and white boys on TV screens as they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to seat them together in the same schools. So we watched them in brutal solidarity, burning the hunts of, of a poor village, but we realized that they would never live on the same block in Detroit. On April 4, 1967, MLK delivered his speech, Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break Silence, in which he criticized the war and called attention to the American government's hypocrisy in sending white and black troops to fight together when they were segregated in their home country. For King, it was wrong for the U.S. to care more about the foreign affairs of Vietnam than address the racial and economic inequities plaguing our country. Dr. King was uh, a son of this city in some ways, and we read his words, his speeches, and his sermons in order to capture uh, his philosophy and capture his ideas around a beloved community. Boston, in some ways, even in 2023, is a divided community. There are racial inequities, there are health disparities, 
and we're seeking through the reading of these words to invoke his message around nonviolence and brotherly and sisterly engagement with each other. King called for a unilateral ceasefire and claimed that America had made peaceful revolution impossible by refusing to give up the privileges and pleasures that come from the immense profits of overseas investments. He urged a radical revolution of values and to emphasize love and justice rather than economic nationalism. There is at the outset a very obvious and almost facile connection between the war in Vietnam and the struggle I and others have been waging in America. It's not just the sound bites that we often are attributing uh, him to, the I have a dream and, 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 and so forth. We're talking about racial justice, we're also talking about economic justice, uh, peace movements, everything is intersectional. Uh, and that's what, uh, that's what people need to understand is the solidarity between all of those different movement spaces and what uh, Dr. King stood for. The speech was considered an act of rebellion at the time and was largely attacked by pro-war media like the New York Times and Washington Post. Today, his speech is as relevant as ever, empowering global citizens to speak up against injustice every time, everywhere. And he was saying the countries also have to be nonviolent. We as a world community have to get together. And we have to li listen to our adversaries. Well, if we're angry at Russia, we're angry at China, we have to talk to them. We have to find a way to live together. So that's how we apply Martin's lesson today. Let us march on till victory. These doors are locked now, but the loyal church members of Spirit and Truth Baptist Church on 616 Blue Hill Ave are determined to see these doors welcome them in once again. There's always someone in a congregation that needs something. And so very often, there's someone in that congregation who can give you, lead you to, help you get assistance in whatever it is, housing, childcare, a new job, new training, whatever it is. And that is why it's so important uh, that this congregation exists so that people do have that sense of support in their own community. Well, we've always had places of faith. That's the whole community is around faith. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of different religions in Roxbury. Um, and every church is important. We don't want to see churches close up. And this was a very active church once. It isn't anymore. But now they're trying to bring it back. Last Saturday, church members gathered outside Spirit and Truth to shed light on the ongoing dispute within. On March 8th, the church received an order of foreclosure after being placed in receivership when building violations were not repaired. Members allege Pastor Stanley Deese and his lawyers have made false claims and withheld crucial information from the presiding judge, specifically two church board votes on September 25, 2021 and January 16, 2022, expressing not to sell Spirit and Truth Baptist Church. Passionate members say they not only have the money to repair and keep the church, but there's a grander vision to redevelop the full block owned by Spirit and Truth to pour back into Dorchester's black community. We have $1.7 million that has been unanimously agreed on by our members twice. 
in membership votes, not board of trustee votes. And we want to buy this church back. And Dorchester Bay is giving us $1.7 million. They're going to develop all of our programs to help the community. We need a black church to help the community with jobs. And that's what we're doing. We're going to help the community with education improvement. We're going to help the community with low income housing, not affordable, low income housing and black history theater performances for the people. We need this church. We need the judge to hear us that we're in unison. All of our votes are unison. It's more about the city of Boston allowing one man and his family to turn, sorry for this, to, to turn their back on the black community. And I say that with all sincerity. He's a black man from the South himself. He should know better. And all the other pastors that I've asked, they all say, well, let God deal. Let God, let God do it. Like God is not going to break the sky and come down here and set order. It's for us to do it. He has to listen to someone. And if the judge is not the one he's going to listen to, the attorney he's not going to listen to, other pastors are not. Everybody is like, well, it's not my bad. It's not for me. It's not for me. Somebody's got to do something. And that's why we're out here today. I don't know why you're so sad. You've got a roof over your head. You gotta stop with that depression stuff. That's a white people thing. You all right? It just feels like it's coming from everywhere. Do you want to talk about it? You can talk to me if you're feeling sad. Whenever you need to talk, I'm here, okay? Hey, Bobo, do trees tell each other stories? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, why don't we go find out? Listen. Do clouds take naps? I couldn't tell you. Dad, do stars visit their friends? Look! Donating pet food is one of the many ways you can help families in your community. Pets and people belong together. Learn more at petsandpeopletogether.org. My character, Shazam, knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. As much as you're comfortable or you're right there. All right, I think we're coming back. Uh, we are back on Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host tonight. Two-part show, and in this first half, well, we'll find out how Mayor Wu managed to steal one of the city council's brightest stars to become the new administrator of the Boston Housing Authority. She is, of course, the now former District 8 city councilor, uh, Back Bay, Beacon Hill, Mission Hill, Fenway. 
Uh, we're talking about Kenzie Bach, and she's here tonight on Talk to the Name. Nice to have you here. Thanks so Lovely much for coming. Lovely to be here. Thanks so Thanks much. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, you know, uh, did she steal you away, or did you volunteer? <laughs> how, how, how did this uh, come about? I mean, it's uh, uh, you know quite a position. One of the, I think it's fair to say. Uh, one of the toughest jobs in the city of Boston. So, uh, well, it, it's my dream job. It's yeah. the big hard job that I uh, really wanted to have. So, you know, I worked at the BHA before I was a city councilor, mm -hmm. um, and I never imagined this opportunity would mm. um, come up as it did. Uh, but um, Kate Bennett, who's stepping down, she's been a fantastic administrator. I worked with her and Billy McGonigal, and when she was stepping down, I tried to convince her to stay, but. Uh, once I failed at that, um, Mayor and I had some, um, you know, conversation. There was a whole application process. I actually interviewed with a bunch of our residents, really? um, which I think was fantastic because, uh, you know, the BHA is really a strong housing authority because of its relationship with its right. tenants. And Ten so, councils and you know. Yeah, and and actually, um, already Kate and I have been going to every development. So we've done four <laughs> coffee hours just this week in senior <laughs> developments, um, talking about everything under the sun, and yeah. just really underscores how the BHA is that place that's still letting people stay in the city for their whole lives and live out right. in dignified right. old age. Yeah, yeah. Just so. What did Mayor Wu say to you? What did she uh, well, say? Know, uh, she knows that housing's my passion. Well, it's something we've talked about. Right, endlessly. you served with her, of course. When Absolutely. She was on the council as well. And, and, and you know, we had just collaborated on the American Rescue Plan Act funds for the city, so I was the chair of the committee um, distributing those, and the mayor had a plan proposal. And where we really aligned was we actually put more of that money into housing uh -huh. than any city in America. That money that the Fed sent us that we got to decide what to do with, we put it into the BHA, new supportive housing, housing on public land, just like sort of throwing the kitchen mm -hmm. sink at the really hard housing challenge. So we've been talking about housing a lot in that context. And so uh, when uh, she asked me to do this, I um, couldn't say no. So uh, wasn't a difficult decision. I mean, I, I you know, you're. I think it's fair to say, uh, uh, certainly a, a bright and rising star uh, politically, uh, but to kind of cashier your. Uh, your uh, political, uh, your uh, public service. Well, if it uh, weren't for the pesky city charter, I might have tried to do two jobs at once because <laughs> I loved being city councilor for Mission Hill, Fenway, Back Bay, Beacon Hill, West End. Yeah. Um, it was a fantastic job, but uh, you know, I the way I'm thinking about it is it's not goodbye to my district because besides the fact that I still live there, um, you know, one of the things I'm really interested in is how do we stitch the all the opportunities, you know, the jobs that are in those neighborhoods of District 8, the institutions, most of the colleges, universities, hospitals, the big arts institutions, like how do we make those things that are a lot of the things that people think about when they think about Boston and, and what our strengths mm -hmm. are, how do we make them all available to residents in Boston housing, right? How are our voucher holders and families absolutely at the heart of that opportunity landscape. And so for me, what's really exciting is I represented the district of the city actually with the least public housing. And now I'm representing the BHA. And the opportunity to kind of build that bridge is really the challenge of tackling inequality in Boston. Right. Well, I, and one of, one of many, of course. Uh, um, tell us, you know, for people that don't understand uh, what the BHA does, and how many units it, it manages, sure. and uh, you know what an enormous undertaking this is. Because you, know, uh, you know, yeah. So we house just under ten percent of the city, um, so it's a lot. Right. Uh, it's about and about half of that's in public housing. 
Um, we have roughly about 13,000 public housing units, mostly federal, some state, and then we've got 17,000 vouchers. Um, and some of those vouchers are actually in specific buildings, that's called project basing. Some of them are just going with tenants being used all over the right. city, and they can even be used outside the city. Um, so yeah, and we're really the, the main way that we're keeping really low-income people in Boston right now. Well, and, uh, and of course the latest statistics and the changing uh, I think month to month uh, that I think Boston is now the second most expensive city to uh, rent in, yeah. uh, somewhere in there, second or third, uh, yeah. I think only behind New York. Uh, uh, so the challenge uh, has got to be enormous. How, how, do you, how do you kind of deal with that and yes. as, you, as you look forward to what you're going to try and accomplish? So, you know, it's about we have to provide great housing for the folks who are already housing, mm -hmm. right? So that's safe, decent, affordable housing. Mm -hmm. All of our public housing should meet that standard. And the mayor's been amazing about sending us investment. We've got $200 million in the city capital budget this year. Mm -hmm. Five years ago, we had nothing. So the city of Boston's really stepping up to the plate. I think we're looking forward with the governor having a new housing secretary come in to sort of asking the state to partner. And then, like I said, we've put about $250 million of the federal funds that came mm -hmm. with COVID into housing, right? So we're putting a bunch of resources in. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about is actually, so we've got a wait list of 37,000 people, wow. which is insane, yeah. um, and just speaks that to just the need. That right, what right. the demand is, you know. So we actually have the right to build 2,500 more public housing units than we have today, and the federal government is on the hook to give us ongoing subsidy for them. So it's something called the fair cloth limit. So there's like a number that's the max the housing authority mm -hmm. can have, and we're 2,500 under that. So. The trouble is the feds will pay you the ongoing operating, but they won't give you the money to build them in the first place. <laughs> so that's why we're under, because uh -huh. to create them is a challenge. But yeah. what's one of the things that um, I've been talking to folks about is actually us starting to create those new units again, because there's, you know, there are units that are accessible to people in this way that we learned is so important in the pandemic. Like public housing, it's not just that it's available to people with low incomes. It's that if you lose your income or you get sick, you know, the types of things that we saw happen sure. in COVID, you're not then subject to a cascade where you also lose your housing because your income, the rent fluctuates as a 30% right. of your income. So um, so it's a really precious resource. And the fact that Boston's entitled to 25% more than we're currently taking mm -hmm. advantage of, that's one big place to grow where, where could uh, Where could Boston build those units? Well, actually, we've just put out an RFP to build <laughs> some of them over the West End Library. Oh, really? So that... combining, again, my two lives, the yeah. District 8 City Councilor who represents the West End of Beacon Hill where that library branch is, we're actually going to, the city's planning to do a total rebuild of that um, library branch, so we stated the art library mm -hmm. branch, but then build housing units above it. And so the idea is to do mixed income affordable, but have at least 20 of those be these new public housing units that we're entitled to. Um, but we're also looking at our land, you know, the, the, the BHA's land, places we could put it. We're looking at the question of this inclusionary housing that we get, that we get when we have private developers build right. in the city. Could we actually integrate some of this resource? Because right now that helps us get um, some incomes of families in, but not the whole spectrum. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna play with all the tools. Are the days of uh, you know the huge kind of hulking you know you know hundred plus unit uh, housing complexes are those in the past? Is that uh, will we ever see that, or is that even something we want to do? Anymore? I don't think so. I mean, what I would say is. I, Boston in general doesn't have the type of public housing portfolio that people think of when they think of those huge towers that New York and Chicago have. <laughs> right. Actually, you know, what's funny is Boston built our public housing so early that 
everybody saw it as a huge political benefit to have it in their neighborhood. And so as a result, we have one of the most diversified portfolios across like almost every neighborhood of the city has mm. public housing in it. Yeah. We've got senior housing all over the place, but also family. It's near the T, it's near job opportunities. Like that's why building those bridges is so important, but also so possible in the city mm -hmm. of Boston. Like, so I think actually we have a really great built portfolio as it is. There are places to add more units. Absolutely, there are places, you know, we're doing engaged with private partners in a redevelopment at Mildred Haley right now, which right. is one of the developments that does have one of those sort of more vertical tower setups. Right. And for sure, we're looking at ways to, you know, have it be a little bit more modern housing. Mm -hmm. There's also a challenge that, you know, some of the some of those brick buildings, um, it's hard to retrofit them in ways that are ADA accessible, that are right. kind of like more up to modern standards. But, uh, but what's uh, really exciting is that the mayor's administration has kind of partnered with us around this commitment to put our housing onto a fossil fuel-free basis. Right. Yep. And so what's great about that is it's both a huge part of reaching the city's climate goals, because buildings are the biggest part, right. and we have a lot of buildings. But it also means like healthier housing for our residents, um, better ventilation, a chance to finally do a lot of kind of deferred capital maintenance right. stuff, because we're actually going to have resources focused Will on. Will it cost more free. to do that? You know, that, that was yeah. my only question. And you know what? There may be, you know, it may be that there's a cost. There's, but, uh, so there's, there's definitely some cost for sure. Um, one of the things that we're actually focused on, we put 10 million of the ARPA dollars into figuring out how to do affordable housing green retrofits in the most efficient way possible, mm -hmm. because we know. Of existing housing? You mean? Yeah, of existing yeah. housing. So basically, we were like, measure twice, cut once. We want to do a lot of this aggressively, but we have to do it in a way that uses the resources really effectively, to your point. And so we're basically kind of piloting with this first 10 million, how do we figure out what's the combination of things that we can do that most efficiently retrofits these units, and then we can kind of rinse and repeat at a larger level. And can you use that, uh, you said 250 million, right, in, in yeah, ARPA yeah. money? Yeah. Can you use that to build as well? Or is so there, I think- Is there restrictions on- No, on no, that no. It's, so that's parceled out at a bunch of different programs and pilots. Um, I think that probably for support with our um, building plans, it, it's really more the money in the city's capital budget. Because of course it's you know building on public land, public mm -hmm. resources, so sure. you can use the bonding. And of course we're all looking forward to the state bond bill and working with the state um, house on the housing bond bill that we think is going to be a, a, f a factor this year. Um, so you know it's a it's an all resources kind of game, but um, <laughs> but we're we're excited <laughs> about it. And and then the thing I want to say about the like for instance. We're right now, we're in the process of launching this project to electrify it out at Franklin Field. One of the things that's going to do is it's going to get us new electric stoves in units that have really old appliances. Now, an updated appliance is great. We're also getting more and more evidence about indoor air quality and the way that like the mm -hmm. gas stoves affect that. And I know people you know, have all kinds of feelings about that topic, but I'm just going to say that for us at the Housing Authority, you know, the studies about indoor air quality have been a persistent concern for a long time. And so getting to kind of marry this public mm -hmm. health and environmental focus is key. Well, and there was, and at least I, I believe it was during the Menino administration, there was this whole effort, uh, and these, and I believe there are federal grants, the whole grants mm -hmm. where they redid a yep. number of projects. Are those days over? No, uh, we just we just cut the ribbon on phase three of Whittier in Roxbury. Yeah. We're doing a beautiful uh, new redevelopment there. We've got we're, we've got one that we're just about to do the last phase of at Orient Heights. We just started the third phase of Old Colony. Mm -hmm. We're definitely um, redeveloping lots of public housing, and it's beautiful. I mean, people should just drive by and see right. some 
somebody no, is I, in there. I, gorgeous. I, you know, I'm thinking about the uh, one on uh, Washington Street in Roslindale, and I'm blanking on it. I mean, it's just beautiful what, what was done there, but I didn't know if that was a one-time pot of money. Uh, no, we've, um, I mean, we've continued to chase, off, they're different one-time pots, right? Yep. So we keep chasing all those. Yeah. Um, we have also worked on kind of in Charlestown and Mary Ellen, a kind of cross-subsidizing mm -hmm. model where we have, where we add market unit density and then also do one-to-one -one replacement of the public housing units. So it's sort of like you're helping to mm -hmm. cover the cost with that combination of things. So that's sort of a newer strategy. Um, but I also think that folks are starting to recognize again that public housing is a public good and it's something that when we invest in, we're all better off because then we actually know that we're gonna have communities where people are still able to raise children, to grow old, mm -hmm. right? Where if, if, the, if Boston housing stock is in a space where the only way to live in it is to be in it with four roommates who all earn, you know, six-figure salaries. It's it's just it's not a home for people and yeah, communities anymore. It's not anymore. functional, it's, at, at least for for those that have lived here, a lot right. of them their entire lives. Um, so what what would you say, you know, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, it's the biggest challenge that you see. What's going to be the most difficult part of your job? Uh, and I know you're, you know, you're, you're you know. I think I think just look, we have to be kind of uh, patient and impatient at the same time, right? I think that's for me temperamentally mm -hmm. the greatest challenge is that you know I want everything to be perfect for our residents yesterday, right? And and all these things that we've been talking about, they take a lot of resource, mm -hmm. um, and there's been literally billions and billions of dollars of underinvestment from the feds and the state, right? So that's a very challenging context that we walk into, and the. BHA staff does an amazing job putting things together, but sometimes it's with duct tape and chewing gum because that's what we've got, right? I think that it's huge for us. The fact that the city, for instance, last year, Mayor Wu, it's not just that we're doing a redevelopment of the taller buildings at Haley. Mm -hmm. She actually put $50 million into the modernization of the units that are not being fully redeveloped. So it's basically saying, hey, you know, we're finally recognizing that we need public investment mm -hmm. in the quality of life of folks who are just living here and I'm so excited about that like the alignment of the city state and the Biden administration at HUD like really ha being behind us mm -hmm. having our backs is so exciting but the sense of urgency is immense right mm -hmm. and I mean what is Boston if Bostonians can't live here and I see the BHA as the most important institution working on that but it's the most urgent crisis in the okay. city well and you know I, I think everybody's in agreement that uh, uh, there's a housing crisis going on, not just here, but all, all of the country, and that, uh, you know, uh, it, it's just almost out of control. Now, the state has enacted some new legislation that, Ask in other theory, yeah. uh, should uh, <laughs> result in at least the surrounding communities relieving some of the, the pressure on. And, and we have a huge interest in that. You know, we have those 17,000 vouchers, and a bunch of our voucher holders mm -hmm. do use them in surrounding communities. And we actually made a change a few years ago. When I was at the BHA the first time, we made a change to let people's vouchers pay higher rents in high rent neighborhoods and towns mm -hmm. so that actually we would help our voucher holders have access to the other towns around Boston. And so for us, um, that's been great and it's given everybody just a lot more choice and right. power of where they want to live. Right. For us, the flip side of that is there needs to be multifamily housing that people can live in in these right. towns. So yeah. we think MBTA communities, like the results of that can't come soon enough. Well, and we shall see. I mean, I, I think there's some challenges ahead. Um, what about uh, rent control? How important is that to uh, what the BHA does? Or is that just you know something 
No, no, totally. rent that... stabilization is super important because, I mean, the way I think about it is this. The BHA, you know, we sort of provide steps one, two, three on the housing ladder. Mm -hmm. And historically, that you know, your family would start to make a bit more money, and then you'd start to look around at the mm -hmm. private market, and you might rent at steps four or five, or buy a house at step right. six, right? You sort of think it was like a ladder that kind of worked. Right now, like the entire middle, like eight rungs of the ladder are missing. So it's really a challenge for us, because part of the reason that wait list is so long is because folks even who start to do a bit better at the BHA, they can't move up that next rung. And then if they actually get out of income, so they're not eligible for public housing anymore, they experience one of those cliff effects where they can't get housing sure. for love or money. So so for us, the like any policy thing that helps reestablish those middle rungs mm -hmm. is super important. And and what I saw in um, in the district that I was the counselor for until a couple weeks ago um, was just price gouging. And that's the, the mayor's bill is really actually right. just a, an anti-price gouging bill. It's not it's not, um, I mean, frankly, almost no landlord's going to go up 10% a year because you're going to lose all your tenants if you keep in doing that. But what we see is, you know, they won't go up like that every year, but then you get a real estate investment trust, buys the building, someone runs the numbers, says, hey, we could get more. They have no attachment to their existing tenants, and they just go up 20 25% and say, hey, I'm going to catch kind mm -hmm. of the next level of tenant. And, and the thing is, it's not because the product is luxury in that instance. It's because vacancy rates are under 1%, so mm -hmm. there's no power. You know, uh, what about, though, uh, no, and I think you're hearing more about this, say, in New York City, but uh, uh, because uh, the commercial real estate market, you know, offices are mm. vacant, and, you know, some of those high-rise uh, units downtown are uh, uh, half empty. I don't know if they're half empty, but uh, they might have been anyway before. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure uh, who owns those uh, units, but uh, that there is a potential at some point for for reusing those uh, or remaking them, remodeling them into housing. And yeah, and we, we would love to figure out how to do that. It's it's very tricky with sort of the difference, those those giant class A office plate right? floor plates. The problem is there's a ton of interior space with no windows, which isn't how human beings like to live. Okay. So it's a challenge to figure that piece out. But I think definitely we're in it to like try to think about are there options there. Because you're right, there's a sort of basic instinct of, we need housing and we don't have enough of it. And then we've got a glut of sort right. of this yeah. more tired office space. And we know peop some people are stepping away from leases. So if we can figure something out, like, listen, the BHA, we're here for all of it. Like, we will <laughs> we will happily, I'm at 52 Chauncey Street by day now. And I would love to have some residents living yeah. in the other downtown yeah. <laughs> crossing office buildings. So if oh, we can figure it out. I of them down there. Well, yeah. uh, again, Kenzie Bach is uh, now the new administrator of the Boston House. Housing Authority, a uh, uh, big job, uh, a very serious uh, uh, and difficult job, and uh, you know, we're going to wish you well. Uh, you. you know, it's a great challenge, and it's a great city. Thank Thank you so absolutely, much. it's it's. Yeah. I'm really delighted and uh, honored to get. To will you do come it, back so. at some point? And I tell will. Us how absolutely. You're doing? Anytime right. you want to have right. me, I'll right. be very here. Very good. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, when we come back with more of Talking Neighborhoods, well, we'll change gears just a bit. Uh, Speaking of District 8, uh, we have, uh, there will be a special election to fill uh, Kenzie Box's seat, and that is on June 27th is the prelim, July 25th the final. Uh, we have one of the candidates that uh, has thrown her name into the ring, Sharon Durkan, 
and she will be joining us when we come back. Stay tuned. do an aerospace engineer, cancer immunologist, and bat scientist all have in common? We all have cool jobs in STEM fields. Whether it's building robots or learning to code, girls everywhere are finding their passion for science, technology, engineering, and math through positive role models and mentors. So dare to dive in, get connected, and explore. You never know what your future may hold. Learn more about these and even more cool jobs at SheCanSTEM.com. I think it's just vapor with flavor. It won't hurt my kid like cigarettes, right? Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? My kid? My kid knows it's dangerous. Get your head out of the cloud. Today, nearly 8,000 kids will start vaping, maybe even yours. Learn about the dangers at talkaboutvaping.org. Hey boss, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. You sure? I said I'm fine. Since I was little, it was only like me and my parents. You think you created family out of characters? Yeah, of course. I'm gonna take that and make it into a song. for the real ballers and shot callers, the sisterhood of women in tech. They're discovering cures, building apps and programming the blockchain. They're CEOs, worldwide hustlers who can make it rain. They're tearing down the old boys club and seeing big gains. Cause when women in tech come together, you know they make that change. We're back with Talk to the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, host. Tonight, two-part show, although uh, one leads to another because we're talk we were talking with Kenzie Bach, the former District 8 city councilor, now the administrator of the Boston Housing Authority. Well, uh, she when she gave up her seat, uh, that spawned a new special election for uh, the District 8 seat, and that includes, of course, uh, Beacon Hill, Back Bay, 
uh, part of the West End and also Fenway and Mission Hill. And I'm pleased to have joining me uh, one of the candidates uh, running in this race uh, from uh, Beacon Hill. She's a uh, former uh, finance director for Ed Markey campaign, also uh, worked on Mayor Wu's campaign as in finance, and is the Ward 5 Democratic Chair. And we're talking about Sharon Durkin joins us. And Sharon, nice to have you here. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for me. having me. Well, this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, you've been involved in politics a long time, but uh, this is a little different thing. Uh, you know, uh, all the, the, the spotlight is on you now. What made you decide to jump into the race? And, and so first I'll say thank you so much for having me. Sure. It, uh, I've been actually a huge, because I've been involved in local <laughs> politics, I've been a huge fan of your show. Well, so it means you. a lot to be on right now thank and you very chatting much. with you. I appreciate you. that. And uh, you do really, a, a, this is a civic service no, for uh, to know we, we try, what the candidates are all about. Um, so I appreciate being a candidate tonight. I uh, come from the behind the scenes world of politics. Yeah. I have had my own small business uh, working in politics and I've also, I've worked for Mayor Wu. I actually moved here eight years ago to work on her reelection campaign oh, wow. for city council at large. Um, and I remember the moment I uh, closed my apartment door in Beacon Hill. I had a sublet on Irving Street. <laughs> I remember closing and locking the door, walking over to the public garden, walking across uh, that footbridge yeah. and realizing that I really chose the right place to live. Boston has given me so much and uh, I'm really ready to come out from behind the curtain and give back to the city that I love and that I love living in. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, and there's so many reasons for that. But one of the reasons is, you know, when there's an open seat, it's always very unexpected. A lot of people on the campaign trail have asked me, how long have you been thinking about this? And I'm like, <laughs> well, last week yeah. when, I was, yeah. when I found out. Yeah, so, but it's been really exciting and I, it's been energizing and I think it's a really great way to contribute to Well, and I understand you already have your first endorsement from none other than uh, the former counselor, uh, uh, Kenzie, yeah. has endorsed yeah. your campaign. It's an incredible endorsement, but I have to give uh, the credit to Jay Livingstone. Oh, he was my yes. first yeah. endorser, Representative Livingstone. my state rep. Um, I've loved working with him yeah. in the activist. I've really been an activist um, with the Ward 5 Democratic Committee and involved in the grassroots. Mm -hmm. I've gotten a, a chance to work with many local elected officials in that role. And so I think that's part of the reason why I have both of their support is they've seen me in action and I've been involved in, you know, in yeah. so much over the years. Well, uh, of course, uh, you know, that district and referenced in many different uh, ways, but uh, uh, you know, sometimes called the silk stocking district, so to speak. I don't even know if there is silk stocking. Oh, I've never heard that one. Yes, okay. uh, yes. Uh, well, an old uh, friend of mine who once represented that area, uh, I think, gave me that. But, uh, you know, it's certainly, you know, upscale, uh, you know, middle and upper income uh, neighborhoods, although, you know, I, I know that there's uh, parts of it that... Uh, there's a lot of uh, economic yeah. um, diversity in yeah. the district. And, um, you know, I live, even actually in, in my own neighborhood of Beacon Hill, there's so much diversity in terms of, you know, in terms of people's economic status, mm -hmm. but it, there's also a lot of 
racial diversity too. Yeah. So, um, I, so honestly, it's not quite what everybody thinks. Yeah, of them. it's really not. And and honestly, the issues, the quality of life issues mm -hmm. that everyone is facing in every part of the district is what I'm really hoping to solve. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you know, I think every single person in this district deserves representation. And part of why I'm running is to lift up everyone's voices. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I think you know, folks, it's you know, you can't really you can't really paint. I think painting with a broad brush in politics mm -hmm. is always a bad, you know, because okay. there's, uh, you know, Boston is just one of those places where we, uh, it, it's a city where every single neighborhood is different, and uh, I've really enjoyed in the last three and a half weeks crossing my way mm -hmm. through the district and getting to know all the folks who are really involved in politics and involved in uh, involved in the civic organizations. Yeah. It's been really fun. What do you see as uh, your will be your priorities when if, if you're fortunate enough to be elected? So obviously uh, we are losing a real champion and a brilliant leader on housing. Mm -hmm. Housing is one of the one of the uh, challenges that we're facing in the city so that that should be on everyone's list when they're running for mm -hmm. office in Boston. Uh, mental health care, um, I think that we are dealing with it, it actually mental health care deals with a lot of what we're talking about in with you know in uh, substance abuse and homelessness mm -hmm. um, and also just access to to health care and then um, I am a huge advocate for open space and our parks um, so and climate resilient neighborhoods is a huge priority of mine uh, and we also uh, you know I am uh, someone who I, I like I said those quality of life issues that we're facing mm -hmm. and uh, on, on holes, our streets. Let's see, uh, rats, uh, you know. Well, you're gonna uh, love this. Yeah. So uh, my first day launching my campaign, I actually launched it on the day of the trash contract and <laughs> pest hearing because I really think that's a really important thing in yeah. the city oh, to, to sort of solve. And um, I've been hearing from Especially people. Especially in your district, you know, it's a absolutely. huge, you know. Absolutely, and yeah, we've been, you know, I, a lot of the advocates who are at the meeting were coming up with great solutions, but it's gonna take all of us. <laughs> so every, you know, every single one of these issues is gonna take all of us to help solve them, so. Well, it's one thing to govern, it's another thing to get elected. As you know, uh, how do you win this seat? Uh, what's gonna be the key for you in your mind uh, to uh, being able to win this seat? Now, special election, turnouts, you know, well, Turnout's not great lots of times anyway in that district, if I recall correctly, well, unless it's a presidential it's, election. It's but, honestly, yeah. what's great about city council is you can talk to most of the people that could or should or will vote for you. Right. So um, I, it was funny, I was walking down the street the other day getting signatures. Um, I've been told I'm not allowed to confirm that I'm on the ballot. <laughs> But I have, I got all my signatures. Right. The due date was today at five and, uh, you know, over doubled the amount that I needed. Uh -huh. And, but part of it's yeah, just. So today was the final day. For the special election for only. Special. We still have to do the fall. Right. Um, but interestingly enough, a lot of, I met a lot of folks who weren't registered to vote and we were hand delivering uh, on, on, in my neighborhood and, and all around the city or all around the district, uh, hand delivering voter reg forms right. because we actually have time to get people registered to vote. And I, I've really always had an inclusive view of politics where 
we're not just talking to we're talking to the voters, but we're also talking to the future voters. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, in District Eight, there is a uh, you know there's a lot of schools, there's a lot of students, um, there's also a lot of transients just because of it being located so close downtown, to downtown. Yeah. So um, so I'm trying to get everyone's vote, even those that are not <laughs> voting yet. <laughs> so. Well, but. Certainly, it's a more of a targeted electorate, to, yes. to say the least. And now, the apparently a, a federal district judge threw out the city's redistricting map. Will that affect the special election? No, or it just, won't. So, or just the election in the fall? So I'm running to fill out the rest of Kenzie's term right. in so the that's old district. Old district, right? So um, interestingly enough, I think me and whoever runs in this race will be the only ones who know what district we're running in. <laughs> and I, it's, it's honestly, Probably we're, like, yeah, yeah, we're, so I, I feel I love the district that no, I currently yeah. am running to serve in. So I guess I'll just wait with bated you know, breath right. to see, to see, see what we'll happens. See what happens, well, and certainly, I, you know, I think uh, one of the issues that was raised is if they change the boundaries, there's a one-year residency requirement that could impact, in theory, uh, some of the races. So, well, um, I'm pretty lucky. So yeah. I live in Ward Five, yeah. Precinct Four. <laughs> that Ward Five, Precinct They'd Four. They have to really. Uh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Ward Five, Precinct Four is staying in this district. So. <laughs> no, not much chance of that. Well, um, so as you now, you know, campaign, you, you talk to people, and like I said. Uh, uh, it's a targeted list you're, you're looking at. What are people saying is, is the biggest thing in their minds? What, what is it that they're asking or will be wanting from you if you're elected? Well, honestly, the conversation has been mostly about the big shoes that I have to fill oh, yeah? um, because Kenzie Bach has done an incredible job. And I, like I said earlier, I'm really proud to have earned her support. Yeah. I think a lot of folks are just interested in quality of life issues they're interested in they're interested in in sort of the bread and butter of mm -hmm. the of the district they're interested in constituent services uh, they're also interested I we I just I'm really district 8 I'm really lucky because people are interested in the things that impact them daily I know um, you know the construction on their street the right. notice they're getting from the city that sort of stuff and for me I I'm really focused on I've been like in every meeting. I have, I, you know, we have a notebook here. I have a notebook that's already full of stuff. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, um, I was in the Mission Hill Gazette the other day, and I didn't realize that they were going to quote the meeting that I was speaking at. Uh, but I was quoted in the Mission Hill Gazette saying, "I will, um, I will start working now to fix the issues." Yeah. So I've taken that very seriously. So I guess I'll say, if there are issues that you have, <laughs> I'm happy to try to get to work now <laughs> wow. during the campaign because uh, I think sometimes you know you just got to make a few calls and see mm -hmm. see what we can get done and I've been working on a couple things that people have given me just just to ask around in City Hall and right. say you know hey where are we on this and you know well now if you you are elected uh, how will you work with the uh, mayor Wu is that somebody you think you can work with yeah, Mayor Wu is an incredible, I think she's doing an incredible mm, job. Started out with her yeah, uh, campaigning. Yeah. Has she yeah. uh, offered to endorse you as well? Well, that hasn't happened. <laughs> well, we are, Maybe, you know, yeah. yeah well, I don't know when this will be, yeah. <laughs> when this will be, um, you know, I I think uh, for me, I would be honored to earn the, earn the mayor's support. Yeah. She, um, 
I think she has a real vision for the city and it would be I would be really lucky to earn her support I'm also there are a couple of other folks I'm hoping to earn the support of that are on my list and um, and for me it's all about working together and trying to solve the issues that Boston is facing part of the reason why I've chosen to run is because we need more people who care about the city and I I know that the mayor deeply cares about the city like I do mm -hmm. and um, like Kenzie does and like Jay does and yeah, like all the yeah. folks that we've well, been talking Well, there's been some divisiveness too. on the uh, city council. I'm sure you've been following. And, and uh, you know, part of it will stem from, of course, uh, the, the drawing of the districts, which is a once every 10 years process. And, and uh, are you prepared for that? Uh, to uh, kind of bump heads with people? Or how do you navigate a system like that. Well, uh, I know we didn't talk about where I'm from, but you know, yeah. I'm I'm a, I'm originally from Georgia, so mm -hmm. I consider myself a, you know, a former Georgia peach. Right. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I can get along with everyone. And you know, the funny part uh, about running for office after being the Ward Five chair mm -hmm. is I've worked with all of the city councilors in my role as the Ward Five Democrats chair. Um, so I'm excited to work with all of them. They're all bringing something unique to the table, and um, and you know. We, we all have sort of pre-existing relationships going into running for office, but I'm really proud. To, I would really be proud to work with everyone. I mean, the goal of city governance is really to get things done for people. So I I don't see working with anyone as a deterrent to getting stuff done for people. Well, it's an important job, and uh, you know you'll be very busy. So keep that uh, that notebook handy. Again, uh, Sharon Durkin is uh, running for the. Uh, District 8 City Council seat. This is a special election, and I have the dates here. I want to make sure I, uh, for people that are watching, uh, the special election is the uh, uh, prelim is June 27th, and uh, if that's if there's more than two candidates running, and the final election is July 25th, right in the heat of the summer. Will you uh, you think people will stick around to? Uh, vote in an election they won't be down all down the cape uh well it's really going to be about a vote by mail i mean it's there's so many i mean i don't want to give away my campaign secrets sure. but there will be a very long GOTV period get yeah. out the vote period yep. with vote by mail ballots because right. um we don't care where you are right. well you know right. i you know we can mail you your ballot anywhere so well and it depends i i'm sure whether there's a prelim or not i mean because that you know kind of uh, gets people accustomed to uh to that well anyway i want to wish you the best of luck thank you so again, much again uh, thanks so much for coming and joining us sharon durkin running for district 8 city council uh unfortunately we're out of time tonight uh, you're watching talking the neighborhoods here on the boston neighborhood network We'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, for the entire staff and crew, have a pleasant evening. Good night.